0: Thanks for tuning in to McNamara on Money, a podcast about all things financial. On this show, we talk about investments and investment performance. In our practice, we give financial advice to our clients. We know their financial situation in detail before doing so. That's not the case with callers we may speak to on this show. We can't give truly meaningful financial advice because we don't know the detailed financial situation of the caller. Any suggestions we make to callers are generic in nature and meant to steer a caller in the right direction. Listeners to this podcast should consult their own financial professionals before implementing any suggestions we might make. Now, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show.
1: Good morning. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. I have a full packed house this morning. So we're going to have to spend a little bit of time going through introductions, but we have a great show planned for you. We're going to be talking about transition periods in life, in particular homes in transition, because we have some real estate professionals here and we also have some attorneys in the house. I guess let's get started with introductions. Some of these ladies I'm just meeting for the first time, but we have via remotely, we have Sharon McNamara with Boston Connect Real Estate. Good morning, Sharon. How are you? Good morning. Good morning to everybody. So glad that everybody could make it there. Yep. And so the plan for this morning is that we're going to we're going to be here for a marathon show this morning. So, our 2 hours and then we're going to go right into talk a real estate round table with Sharon McNabara for the next hour. So, we're going to have lots of stuff to talk about this morning, but plenty of opinions here in studio and we'll be all good. We also have Melissa Wallace with Boston Connect Real Estate as well. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Good. She was here bright and early setting up all the Social media things. (laughs) Yeah, so we'll be live on Facebook too. Great. We Um, are live now, by the way. (sighs) Oh, great. All right. So let's go through some introductions. So we have Amy Hubert Masfer, Esquire, who's a real estate attorney with Sherman Law. I'll give you guys a moment to give backgrounds and stuff like that, but let me just introduce all of you. Good morning, Amy. Good morning. We also have Erin Nally, Esquire, who's an estate planning attorney with Starboard Legal. Good morning. Good morning. And Allison Walsh, Esquire, who's a family law attorney with Walsh Law Office. Good morning. Good morning. All right. So I guess Amy, we'll start with you. Do you guys, I'm just meeting these ladies for the first time. So it's great to, thanks for joining us. Look forward to getting to know you and the discussion. This morning. Do you want to just take a minute or so to just a little introduction? If you want to do a background of your practice, your experience, etc., whatever you want to share this morning so our listeners can get to know you.
2: Sure. Absolutely. This is Amy Hubert Masfer. I'm from Sherman Law. I'm a real estate attorney with over 20 years experience. I focus on all things real estate. And in addition, I've been contributing lately, focusing on transitional sales as we see a lot of listings come from situations. I have a certain background in, in divorce because I am divorced, so life experience helps <laughs> helps for sure. <laughs> but I really enjoy working with uh, particularly families and trying to get them in the right place after difficult times. Great. Thank you. Allison, would you like to go next? Sure. Hi, everyone. I'm Allison Walsh. I'm a family law
3: and divorce attorney. My office is in Hingham. I grew up on the South Shore, so I'm very familiar actually with even Marshfield. grew up spending my summers here. Okay. And I've been practicing for 20 years at firms in Boston and the South Shore. I've been on my own for about six years now and regularly deal also with, between my divorce practice with real estate and financial issues. And so hopefully this will be, well, I'm looking forward to hopefully learning something today as well as oh, maybe yeah.
1: teaching um, somebody something. Sure we all will, yeah. And where's your office, Allison? My office is in Hingham. Oh, okay. Yeah. And where was yours, Amy? I'm sorry. Um, we also have a oh, second location Hingham.
2: in Plymouth
1: as oh, okay. well. Okay, okay. Yes. Awesome, thank you, Allison. And Erin, how about you? Good morning, my name is Erin Nally. I am the
4: founding attorney of Starboard Legal. Okay. I'm in a business and estate planning attorney. My office is in Norwell right at Asnippi Corner. I have about I have over 50 years of experience in both private and public sector and my primary focus now is like I said all on business planning and estate planning matters. Yeah.
1: And how did you ladies meet? Have you known each other for a while or did you just meet at that S- class that Sharon yes. was talking about? Yeah.
4: <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. So Allie and I actually went to high school together. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But we reconnected Did because of Amy, who yes, did wanted to do this presentation on transitional or Life-changing real estate. Oh, right. Okay, okay, yeah, okay. yeah. right. right. Yeah, and so Aaron, that was
3: how the three of us got
4: okay. connected, yes. and so, well, we've known
3: each other since we were fourteen. <laughs> <laughs> amazing. Shout Aaron, out to No.
2: I met Erin first through like a networking event, and like we hit it off right away. And I'm like, oh, this, we're like the same person. <laughs> this and then I was like, I kept hearing about Allison Walsh, and I was trying to find. I get a lot of calls for people who need divorce attorneys, your name kept coming up. It's yeah. excellent. So I'm like, I have to meet this woman. And then I was like, do you guys know each other? And they're, like, yeah, we do. So, <laughs> <laughs> it was fantastic and it's been a really great to get to know them personally and as well as professionally yeah all good things i wondered
1: where the topic came from i know sharon had mentioned she went to a class and that's where she met you ladies i wondered mm-hmm. where the topic came from homes in transition which i think is an excellent topic and we can approach it from many different angles mm-hmm. uh, so you guys have already given a similar uh, talk before
2: yeah so i was really trying to think about how i'm very big into education especially with my realtors for me, I was seeing where the market was frozen a little bit for a brief time period, though we've seen more inventory, yay, keep selling. <laughs> what was going on the market were people who had to sell because of situations. Those, transi- uh, those transitional sales are more difficult for the realtors, for sure. So I was looking for ways to support them, to not be afraid of those transactions and to get the right team around them so they had both the legal and sometimes emotional support to support their clients. Yeah. So that was my, my thought process at that time. I'm always looking to do a different type of class. Obviously, I have some experience in divorce personally and professionally. And so that was important to me. Yeah. Sharon, anything you want to share before we dive into topics? This
1: was your idea to put this marathon show together this morning. Yeah, (laughs) so
5: Amy's great about always wanting to help the the realtors and me being the broker owner of a company. I always want my agents learning as well. So anytime she has anything, she always invites us. We adore Amy. (laughs) Amy, actually, Casey, actually worked with Amy very closely when she was doing oh, her internship okay, okay. while she was in law school. Okay. Yeah. And she and Amy loved Casey and Casey loved Amy. Well, what's not to so, love there I for sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Amy had this class and she had the other our other two guests here with us. She also had a loan officer, but I just thought, okay and we could make a joke out of it. Like That's three, yeah. three attorneys, a loan officer, two real <laughs> estate agents, and a financial planner. Yeah. Like, what? <laughs> but honestly, Alyssa, you and I are always trying to do shows, too, like when we do our three-hour marathons. And when I watched them and they taught me so much, I learned a lot that day, too. I thought that you would actually be just such a great fit for what they're doing as well. And thinking back to when we used to do Financially financially Secure Women. Yeah. I felt like all the pieces went together and it is definitely something that we're seeing a lot more of. Myself, I have been, I'd say most of my transactions that I've been doing as of late this year have been estate sales or not even estate sales yet, like they're in assisted living, but. It, the parent hasn't deceased yet. I'm seeing a lot
1: of that. Yeah. Lots of moving pieces to it. Yeah. So I know we have the three women who can help us with that. Yeah. All right. I guess let's dive in and start talking about the issues surrounding divorce and transition related to divorce. And I guess just to back it up a little, our. When I work with divorcees, it's much more common than I would work with the female member of the couple. I don't know what you ladies are seeing, but I and I was at a a conference a week or two ago and there was a presentation on financial topics surrounding divorce and planning for that. And he had some statistics and I don't know the exact study or whatever, but there was some survey done not long ago about would with divorcing couples, which member of the couple would be more likely to seek in this particular instance, financial guidance po- during and post-divorce. Whoa, I must lost my coffee there and it's totally full. That would have been a bummer because we're here for a long time. <laughs> and the statistic was crazy. It was like, what percentage of women would seek out financial advice during and post-divorce? And it was like 75% of women would seek out professional advice and, advice, and I think it was like 15% of men. And I certainly see that in my practice where I'm generally I can't recall a situation where I had a man come to me for financial advice, specifically post-divorce. I certainly have a lot of male clients and whether single or married, but but specifically during and post-divorce, I'm generally sought out by the female member of the couple. What do you ladies see? Is it a common pattern or?
2: Absolutely, I still think that things fall into kind of traditional gender roles still during marriages. And Um, I consider myself educated person that being said my husband at the time handled the finances and so they're coming into awareness of what they have to handle and what their planning is and certainly I think yeah that we tend to see that a lot of times one cup one person in the couple and typically it can be the man in a traditional marriage runs all the bills runs all the yeah. all the invoices all of those things and people don't really have a full understanding of what they have and what they don't have yeah and a common preemptive divorce is people living outside their means which causes conflict in the marriage so that can be another kind of reason why there's there's just not mutual financial understanding between the two parties. Yeah. Do you find that, Allison? Is it still, you read the
1: statistics about causes of divorce and financial issues still tend to be a leading cause of couples divorcing?
3: Yeah, I would say, I guess in my practice, I think financial issues for sure. I see, and this is an unfortunate sort of statement on society, but substance abuse, I think, in the last Uh, 10 years or so has really, a lot of our divorces unfortunately have some sort of, unfortunately like alcoholism or something like that component To it. Gambling addictions and especially I think with COVID too when everybody was stuck in the house together. Mm -hmm. One thing trend that we saw was I think a lot of people had learned how to coexist by having a girls night out once a week or the guys would go out and so people were staying married by not spending that much time together Mm -hmm. and then when they were suddenly forced to be in the house together for two years straight that was the straw that broke the camel's back. (laughs) So that was something I had not seen before and so we're cycling through that now too. To Amy's point about kind of women seeking out advice more during the divorce, I think I do see that. I think especially women that were traditionally maybe like a stay-at-home mom or something, they oftentimes are really looking for sort of a financial advisor or somebody to help them get on their feet afterwards. I think also the other piece with the divorce is a lot of times in the divorce, that both parties might have had the same financial advisor, and then in the divorce, one party keeps the financial advisor. That's not like in the divorce agreement or yeah. in the divorce judgment, but yeah. maybe it was the husband's buddy or whatever. Yeah. So now, if I have the wife as a client, she's coming to me saying, "Hey, do you have a recommendation?" Yeah. Same thing with insurance agents. Right? Yeah. It's interesting how in the divorce, the professionals in it. your life go one way or the other sometimes. And yeah. So a lot of times, people are looking for
1: referrals. Yeah. Post divorce, I also think like we're going to talk about part of the subject matter for today is real estate in transition as a result of many things but divorce being one of them and when it comes to real estate if you would think in, in a traditional marriage where there, there are children it seems to me that it's more common that the female member of the couple the mom would want to keep the home and keep the children in the home so then maybe seeking out advice related to that and affordability of that probably mm-hmm. seems to be I would guess more common can I afford to stay here what's the impact of that in my life etc and we can talk all through that Absolutely. Um, and anything or in terms of, as far as
4: who typically reaches out yeah. on my end, it's typically the woman that would yeah. reach out because my work is all directions. <laughs> oddly <Okay>. enough, yes, right. <laughs> <We're insert joke. laughs> uh, <yeah>, um, <laughs> but you know what I mean. Like when yeah. it comes to when it comes to estate planning, it's there's no real instant gratification for it. Okay, Do you know what I mean. Yeah. It's yeah. If something happens, then where are the directions that we follow? Okay, so right. usually.
1: I will have it's planning. Yeah. yeah, so it's right. yeah. Okay, right. exactly. And women sometimes are
2: better planners. Not always, right? right. Yeah, yeah sometimes. and guardianship—that's yeah, yeah, a big exactly. concern because if your backup plans were that the in-laws were gonna raise the kids, in a, and if someone, if everyone predeceases suddenly the in-laws are not your in-laws anymore. So those considerations you have to think about too. Yeah, yeah. All right, let's talk about, we were. We wanted to focus on
1: homes in transition and real estate issues surrounding divorce. Like I touched on a moment ago, it seems to be pretty common that if a divorcing couple has kids, especially young kids, then one member of the couple wants to keep the house. But are you guys, maybe Sharon and Melissa could chime in regarding... The clients that you're seeing going through divorce, are they selling the home because they can't afford it, because they want a life change and a fresh start? I can recall several conversations with particularly females going through divorce and talking through affordability of keeping the family home. Sometimes it's unrealistic financially, and or maybe there's a financial sacrifice in, in the near term and then they have to pay for it on the back end later, retire later, work harder later, et cetera. And sometimes people are okay with that and that's a decision that they can make. But if you think about just most people, most married couple, like dual income families, right, are... There, I don't think it's incredibly common that there's enough financial resources that while they were married that they could just afford another home, right? Most couples are just there trying to make it work on either one income or two incomes. And so in a divorce, like the affordability of then just all of a sudden maintaining two homes is it's sometimes just the numbers the numbers don't work. And that would oftentimes lead to discussions about real estate sales, et cetera, and, or how to handle that. Sharon, what are, do you and, and also, Melissa yeah, have a lot so of clients- Yeah.
5: Yeah. So for us, I think that with having a lot of divorce and as Allison was saying, too, is we are definitely seeing more divorce because of substance abuse and alcohol and things like that. And I'd say so I've been selling real estate for 21 years now that I wonder if the difference is that from what i'm seeing it's the women are not putting up with it And i'm not mm-hmm. saying it just that's who's coming to me too generally is the women not the men in some cases the men will as well but usually the person that's reaching out to me first is the woman of the relationship and they're just saying i'm not dealing with this anymore and it's they're okay to do that there have been some situations and i'm sure allison has some stories and i know all the ladies, especially Amy, has uh, I told you she might throw a little comedy
2: in there. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot to be had here for sure. <laughs> Hold on,
5: so Amy will get us there for sure. Some of the terrible situations I see is if one of the spouses is having an affair or something like that. Sometimes I'm pulled in right after that other spouse finds out. That's, that's an tool. awful time
1: to be pulled in. Emotions yeah. 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 running it is, really high. It,
5: oh God, yeah. Yeah, it's really hard and I have some really vivid memories of sitting at a table and it's hard like what, whoever it is, is, really upset, I tend to see when it's when the woman finds out that he had been cheating, she's sobbing at the table. And but if it's the man who finds out that the woman is cheating, he's always trying to pull me aside. But it wasn't me. It wasn't me. It was her. Yeah. It wasn't uh, me. I was the good you know, guy. I'm thinking <laughs> so, of a very specific time when that happened. <laughs> I can remember when this happened. Yeah, it was. And again, you try to stay neutral. And I think that Allison can <coughs> talk about that, too. I think as the real estate agent and Amy too, all of you actually knowing my role sometimes it really matters what the divorce is so I have had situations where there are restraining orders Mm -hmm. so I like the information to be equal and it works out great for our team because I have Melissa as a team member who's licensed I have Mary who's licensed as a team member and it's important for us as a team to always know what the communication is, because I feel like one of them will always try to like sneak off and, sit and tell us everything. We like all communication to be together. If they ever say, please don't tell my other spouse this, it puts us in a really bad mm-hmm. situation. And Allison can talk more about that, too. But when with restraining orders, I've had times where I can't even text husband and wife soon to be exes yeah. in the yeah. same text message. Mm. So you can yeah. talk more about that. Yeah, how sure. often are the
1: attorneys involved in these transactions like during, before the divorce is final? It really, people can sell their house at any point in a
3: divorce. So sometimes people think they have to file for divorce in the courts first. That's not really the case. So sometimes, sometimes I have folks come to me and say, okay, we're getting divorced. We've already put the house on the market. They've crunched the numbers with their advisor or whatever, and they're just yeah. like, neither of us can afford, yeah. especially around here. Yeah. Real estate's expensive. So a lot of times they're like, I can't afford the four bedroom house. We're both going to have to downsize or whatever it might be. So that's, those usually are a little bit more amicable because they've both come to the conclusion that neither can afford and we're just going to sell. Sometimes, oftentimes folks come to me and say, we're getting divorced and one party or the other wants to keep the house. Sometimes they both want to keep the house. Sometimes they can both afford it because now both people work usually. And so sometimes that's an option that maybe 20 years ago that oftentimes we didn't see that. And then we, you know, sometimes we have to fight over for who's going to keep the house. I find courts are very solomonic in the sense of they split the baby. So if people can't decide who's going to keep the house, I feel like it's, no, a, it's a pox on your, all your houses and the house gets sold Uh-oh. a lot of times. The yeah. court would force that. You mean yeah, that they can't the agree that, Yeah, because the judge isn't going right. to decide. Yeah. If both of them have the financing and they both can afford it, like how do you decide who gets to keep the house? Okay. And, and I think more and more too, we're getting away from the traditional idea of the stay-at-home mom and they would yeah. stay in the house with the children. Like, yeah with everybody working I, we see so much more and more like a 50 50 co-parenting yeah. oftentimes there might be a nanny or <laughs> the grandparents are involved it's like yeah. it takes a village now so it's like how do you decide there's not just a presumption of okay the kids will stay in the house because mom's gonna be there the parents might dad might have them more time who knows so it so oftentimes if they
1: can't agree on anything
3: oftentimes yeah. that's when stuff go, starts to get sold
1: and is it common that the i know that post-divorce like one spouse can still have ownership in the property is it more common to structure it? like that? Or is it more common to just split the equity and one buys out the other? If there's resources, that's easier. But like how often are there the resource, the cash resources for the buyout? Oh, hold on. We might not have time to finish this, but we'll finish it after the break. This is an interesting time to talk about that because with interest rates so high Mm -hmm. and and one spouse having to cash out refi to buy out the other spouse, this is a crazy, horrible time to do that (laughs) with interest rates where they are now. So I just was wondering, like, maybe it was more common in the last decade or so for cash out refi buyouts. But I wonder if if this interest rate environment is going to change that and then one spouse retains equity in the home post-divorce. Is that common at all for equity, for For. ownership to still be joint post-divorce? It's not that common. What we usually
3: see, when we see that, and especially if it's ordered by the court, the idea is usually to get the kids through high school. Okay. Um, So it's a short-term fix. Okay. To jointly, if one party or the other can't buy out, when you've got a kid that's in the 10th grade already, you don't want to uproot them if they've been in that school system, let's, for three years, for lack of a better word, suck it up and cooperate and continue
1: to own this property together, (laughs) get the kid to graduate, and then figure it out at that point. Okay, maybe we'll continue on that after the break, but we just, we have to take a short break, ladies. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. Full house this morning. Sharon McNamara with Boston Connect Real Estate. Amy Hubert Masfer, a real estate attorney with Sherman Law. Erin Nally, estate planning attorney with Starboard Legal. Allison Walsh, family law attorney with Walsh Law Office. We're talking about transitionary, transition in life, homes in transition, stuff surrounding divorce, and we'll get into death, etc. We're just taking a quick break and we'll be right back. And we're back. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. We're talking about transitionary periods in life this morning, homes in transition, real estate discussions surrounding transitions in life, divorce, et cetera. Maybe we'll get into second marriages, death of a spouse or a parent and things like that. I don't know if we're going to have time to get to all this stuff because three hours might not be enough for all of us to get through. This. <laughs> There's a lot of opinions it's, flying yes, around. Let's try the three hours first and then we can see <laughs> after
0: well, our worst. going to say, <laughs> is, is Three hours
3: that. enough to cover a lifetime. We're still going to be on divorce
0: yeah. three Let's hours from now. Let's wrap up this now. divorce
1: Yeah, three Can <laughs> you imagine? Let's, I'll do briefly intros again. So we have Sharon McNamara and Melissa Wallace from Boston Connect Real Estate, Boston, bostonconnect.com? Yeah. What, what's your website? But, I was yeah. going to Boston Boston Connect. bostonconnect.com. <laughs> we have Amy Hubert Masfer, who's a real estate attorney with Sherman Law. What's your website, Amy?
2: Um, it's actually timshermanlaw.com. Okay.
1: Yeah. And then we have Allison Walsh, who's a family law attorney with Walsh Law Office. And what's your will? It's uh AllisonWalshlaw.com, Allison Allison with two L's, one I. Okay. (laughs) Do some people have two I's in Allison? I've seen Allison spelled (laughs) I've seen it spelled with a C and
2: a Y and
3: the same attorney
1: I can say there are many spellings. Yes. It was a popular 70s name. Uh, No no direct spelling. And then we also have Erin Nally, who's an estate planning attorney with Starboard Legal. What's starboard your, legal. Starboard com? legal. Is it I never knew if it was starbird or starboard. Because I'm not a I'm not a I don't have a boat. A <laughs> Aren't you no, glad I'm you more. did the show? No. Star, starboard. Bird? Like yeah. starboard, even though it's spelled differently. Okay, got it. All right, let's we were talking a little bit about I, I was just We were talking about when one spouse wants to keep the family home, a divorcing couple. And if one, let's say one of them can agree to keep the family home. You mentioned, of course, sometimes they can't agree. Maybe nobody wants it, et cetera. But if someone wants it and there's significant equity in a home, and we were talking about how if there aren't other cash, non-retirement cash resources for one spouse to buy out, the other spouse from the home. Cash out refinance would generally be an option if the spouse can qualify for the higher mortgage, et cetera. Having said that, it's a terrible time to cash out refinance with interest rates double or triple what someone probably has on their existing mortgage. And so I was just wondering how common it is for for a couple to, de- for one member of the couple to delay their equity buyout of the property. It seems to me that it's probably pretty common. And you were saying maybe just for a short period of time to get the kids through school. It does limit the other spouse's options, right? If that right. spouse doesn't have the cash resources to then buy their next home, maybe then they're renting for a period of time. Or can we like talk through that a little bit in sure. terms of the, the stress on the, an already stressful situation as a result of that? Or what are options that you throw out there? To people to handle that.
3: Yeah, I think typically when we see the concept of one party wants to do a cash buyout or a cash out buyout, the court doesn't, the court likes to keep a short leash on that unless okay. there's some extenuating circumstance like I said before the break, the child in high school that's got only got a couple years left or something. Yeah. So usually what we'll see is time frames. Can you qualify in 90 days? Can you qualify? Okay. If you get rejected in 90 days and quali- try again in another 90 days or whatever I, you don't typically see more than about a year or so unless okay. the parties agree. If the parties okay. agree and they say hey we occasionally people do get along right? and yeah. they might be able to yeah. creatively yeah. figure something out but without some sort of agreement. And again, when we have an agreement like that, oftentimes it does involve the financial planner who sits down and says, this just doesn't make a lot of sense. But if people are at loggerheads about stuff, it's usually you're talking about a year or so to watch the rates. So in the last, in the last year, that's been a problem because I've had divorces that when they started, we figured, okay, cash buyout. And now people can't qualify with the interest rates because it was going to be tight at 3% and now there's no way. Yeah. Yeah. So that's tough. And then you see houses having to get put on the market sometimes right. because of that.
1: It's a, yeah, it, it's a Melissa, terrible. So that's one
5: of the things too. I've actually, I I was texting mm. Melissa too. One of the things it's interesting because we've been talking about such low inventory lately, right? Yeah. So this is like an issue. So people would think, oh, if you're working with a lot of divorced couples, oh, at least you're bringing on more inventory. It's the opposite. Now we're selling one house and we have two people mm. looking for housing. Mm. So it's really impacting really but low inventory. There's so many factors that are impacting it, but that makes it even a little more difficult, especially when we are thinking about the rates, you're thinking about multiple offers. And Amy, you see this like the end part of this, right? Like people are paying $100,000 in some cases, right. saw so up to
2: $200,000 over asking. So it's hard to do in a divorce situation, right? Yeah, and That's another thing. If you have one party who's saying, look, let's maximize the value out of the house right now, we're at all time highs for purchase price. Yeah. But then you have the two parties right. who have to also purchase right. with high mm-hmm. interest rates and low inventory. Navigating through that, uh, we've seen people who have had more growth in the equity of their house than perhaps they have been contributing to their retirement, which <laughs> I know <laughs> you'll speak on. So yeah. we don't have those tradable assets anymore. When the court is looking at something, they're saying, "Okay, you have five hundred thousand dollars in equity. You want to hold on to the house. Where are we get? What's the other asset that's going to be the trade-off yeah. for that?" Yeah. And those other assets haven't had the same sort of boom growth. Yeah, yeah. It's really a challenging time and really, like I said, getting the right team to be able to make decisions, kind of keep keeping level heads prevailing, hopefully, to make the best decision for the family at this point. Because like we said, it might say, okay, yes, you can get the highest value, but now you're both out looking at how housing yeah. market and you're going to lose like some that. of that value. Yeah. You have to realize if there's children involved, I am, the parents' assets are what's going to be passed on, which I know Aaron will talk about. Do we want to liquidate an asset that's going to hold more value than another? And yeah. thinking about that long-term. Yeah. How creative, Amy, this one would be directed
1: toward you. How, uh, sorry, Allison. how creative... Do people get in terms of dividing assets? I guess what I mean by that is let's say there's half a million dollars in equity in the home, and the only other asset is half a million dollars in a 401 So there's no cash for a buyout, and maybe in, in cash out refi doesn't make sense in this environment, this interest rate environment. When my mind, I've helped some couples, some amicable couples, I've helped them with number crunching through divorce and things like that. And when I'm working with one member of a couple, of course, I can only approach it from their perspective and what might be fair to you and all that. But I, it, A retirement account for someone who's 40 is very different from equity in a home. It's very different from cash. Of course, there's the tax consequences to consider after-tax value versus before-tax value or market value. So I'm just wondering, like, how creative will the courts allow people to get? Can someone can someone say in that example, I'll keep the house; he can keep the four hundred one k. And as long as the after tax values are similar, is, does the court really care about stuff like that? Or is there someone at the court being like, no? What's your tax bracket? Your tax bracket is there any so judgments in the, that regard? The short answer yeah.
3: on that is is no. Okay. They're not really crunching tax numbers at the okay. courthouse. I can yeah. honestly say
1: that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, <laughs> and, Down to the penny.
3: As the daughter of an accountant, I've got to say I don't like doing that either. I usually. Bring in outside accountants. So yeah, so I think when you have 500000 in a house and 500000 in a retirement, if one person walked away with the house and one person walked away with the retirement, I can't think of any judge that would blink at that. Okay.
1: That's not equitable
3: As, at all. Right. Well,
2: that was what I was <laughs> Not gonna at say. all. I was
3: going to say, I wouldn't, Depending <laughs> yeah. depending on which side I'm representing, I would probably, I yeah. might not advise <laughs> that. But yeah, we don't, so from your perspective, Melissa, you're probably doing, you're looking at the retirement and projecting it out, going if you retire at 65, how much are you going to have? Have, if you can, yeah. Right. The court's not doing that. Okay. They're just looking at the numbers and they're saying 500, 500. On its face, what you might hear from a judge would be 500 of a house and 500 of retirement today are not exactly the same. Because yeah. with retirement, if you cashed out today, obviously you're not getting 500. Right. You've got right. taxes, penalties, yeah. the whole nine yards. So... Those are the kinds of comments you get back okay. as opposed to somebody sitting there crunching it and projecting it out and saying if we invested this at this rate nobody's really doing that. So okay. people that are smart <laughs> getting the- I would
1: be like, you know, yeah. well, I'll come in with my spreadsheets yeah. and yeah, yeah. You would, because you love numbers. You're just like, right. and you owe me 13 cents. Yeah. Yeah. People That's exactly people. what it's like <laughs> People that yeah. are smart sit
3: down and do those kinds of things, yeah. but yeah. she well, is
0: very smart. And
3: I think part of it too is there's some I fo- think folks with equity and things and people that have assets oftentimes do have an advisor and accountants and things around them. So sometimes that's a little bit easier. We come in with a team already in place for folks that kind of have a house and a 401k. A lot of times they don't have the pension through their job. They might not have those outside people that that they're working with on a regular basis. And they might not have the resources too. Sometimes we're resource strapped in terms of like how many people can we hire to look at this
1: case, right? You have to kind of get a budget at the beginning of how much do you want to spend on this? So obviously this is the exponentially easier when the members of the couple are cooperative and can agree on things. And right. I guess, do you do mediation at all? Too, I do. Or you yeah. Just do, I'm a certified okay. mediator. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. As well. I just, I guess I was just curious, like how, like if a couple agrees on a division of assets during the divorce, I guess my question was, is a judge like making calls on that? Or if there's an agreement, they're going to approve the divorce and because the parties agree, is it? I, yeah.
3: Yeah. If you have two attorneys, it really depends. It has to. So that is no, a good attorney, yeah, I know. It depends. Yeah. I know. I was yeah. going to say, if you have two lawyers on the case, I feel like there's usually a pretty good chance it's getting approved. Yeah, um, exactly. um, because yeah. they figure okay. oh, everybody's had legal advice, everybody's yeah. sat down and at least run the numbers. The standard to get a divorce agreement through and get it approved is that it's fair and reasonable, basically. Yeah. So, what does that mean, though? And that means different things. Depending on how long the marriage is. Seven year marriage, what's fair and reasonable might be that if somebody owned the house before the marriage, they're gonna walk away with the equity that they had before. That might be considered fair and reasonable because it was a short marriage. Okay. A lot of times in a short marriage, people don't even end up joining accounts now. We see only married a couple of years, they just keep their own retirement, they keep their own checking account, and that's walk away. Yeah. What's fair in a 12 year marriage with a couple of kids? That's where we start to see 50/50 yeah. 50, 50 on the yeah. house, 50/50 50, 50 of the retirement that was accumulated during the marriage, but maybe there's a carve out if there was a significant amount before. And then once you get up until 18, 19, 20, 20 plus, forget yeah. it. That's 50/50 50, 50 down the line. It really yeah. doesn't. Okay. If you're Really far off of that, one way or the other. A few percentage points, okay, but you're very rarely going <laughs> to see something that, for some reason, a judge is. Oh, this is a 25-year marriage, and one party really should get 70 percent. Uh, that would be extraordinary. Yeah, uh, okay. yeah.
1: Aaron, Erin, let's loop you in a little bit on these discussions. Divorce is very common. Hold, on one, d- hold oh. on one sec. Hold on one sec. I have questions. Oh, oh. <laughs> oh, are you here, Sharon? Oh, oh I thought you were in Egertown on the boat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, oh. I'm still here, but we didn't make it to Egertown because of the rain, Oh, you didn't? Oh, still,
5: okay. No, but we're we are still on the boat. Yeah, we're yeah. just down at our marina, But anyways, I had a couple of questions for Allison because in a few that will probably stem over to Amy too is at what point do you when they're looking for the value of the house, right? So at what point do you suggest that people are doing that? And do you ever see that as a sort of a conflict because they're like, I'm not using her because she likes you better? At what if they can't agree, do you suggest somebody? And then Amy, at what point do you think it's important for you as the real estate attorney to come in because your role a lot of times is as they're under agreement already. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah.
3: So I guess the first question was if they can't agree on the value of a house, Sharon? how do yeah. we handle that? Sure. Oftentimes at the beginning of a case, both sides will get a CMA, right? With competitive yeah. market analysis, which is typical, you can call it your okay. favorite real estate agent yeah. and have them run some numbers and give you an idea of what the house is worth. CMAs are useful, right? To start the process and think about, is there going to be a cash out, buyout, or are we going to sell or whatever? But if things get contentious and you end up having to go to court, the courts don't use, they don't really put Uh-oh. a lot of credibility into the CMAs. Okay. The numbers usually aren't that far off, but they want a certified appraisal. Okay. So if you're going to end up, let's put it this way, if people aren't agreeing on prices out of the gate, the first step would be to see if you could agree on getting a joint person, right? Somebody mm-hmm. that you both agree to to do an appraisal of the house, and that will be the number. Okay. Sometimes we can't even agree on that, so sometimes we have two joint, two independent appraisers, appraisers. go in, and then we have a battle of the appraisers, and oh, that can be it. Can be everybody sits down and like maybe splits that, splits the baby, and comes up with a number in the middle. And sometimes we end up putting the appraisers on the stand and trying to pick apart what they did and the oh, comps, my, wow. and then we let the judge decide okay. what the number is. And yeah. What's I, an appraisal these days? Four or five hundred bucks, or is it more? No, is inflation like, crept up um, in me, and I'm it, like, it ranges. I've seen anywhere recently from five hundred up to on a single family home, like eight hundred, and then oh wow. if you're talking commercial property, it can get into okay. the thousands. Okay. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. <sighs> What was the second part of that question? When does when do we? Leave uh, in Amy, they, the real estate yeah, attorney,
5: yeah. Yes. And also too, if we could hit upon what about people who don't get married? Because there's a lot of people
2: that do that too. So they're not married, but they've been together for 20 years. So maybe right. We can, hit upon. Mm. We can definitely talk about like cohabitation agreement mm. and things to think about with that. To your question, when should I get involved? For me, I always wanna get involved the sooner the better. If they've agreed on on an agent and they're moving forward with marketing, it sometimes helps to bring me in to like seal that deal because typically in these situations, the realtor's coming in, there's some relationship with one party more than the other, right? It's Mm -hmm. not unusual. So if I can come in and be like, look, I represent both of you. We can talk about the challenges of that. Mm -hmm. That sometimes gives them some peace of mind to move forward with the transaction creating a little bit more, more neutrality in that regard, because they're meeting me at the same time. And yeah. that's very important for me is that I'm meeting them at the same time. I'm not having one call and then being like, Oh, your wife reached out to me. I want to know if that I like to have to be introduced at the same time, have conversations, let them know that my job is to represent both of them through this transaction. And what that means is that I'm not going to be sharing information that I can't, don't tell me anything that I can't tell the other person. And, that, and For lack of a better work, because I have the attorney hat on and they know that I have certain oaths that I have to, sometimes that settles them down a little bit. So it can be beneficial to the agent as well, for sure. It's interesting that you just said that, you know, when you are reaching out, or
0: somebody reaches out to you or you reach out to that person, I know at least with Sharon and Mary, a lot of the times they are the ones doing the introduction with the attorney. So if they don't already have an attorney, Sharon will give a list, Sharon and Mary will give a list of attorneys and just say, these are the ones that we generally work with and once they're like okay yeah we'll go with whatever usually it's we'll go with whatever you suggest because you've been in this business for over 20 years and Sharon and Mary usually do the introduction so it's interesting that you said that the people usually reach out to you
2: yeah or I'll have perhaps that name has been given to them Yeah, one person reaches out sooner than the Mm -hmm. other so I love it to get
0: a leg up on the other one it
2: can be it can be that would be me I'd be like are you awake at four o'clock in the morning exactly exactly (laughs) and listen everyone has oh sorry everyone has their own divorce story I always joke that I have my own. I've printed pamphlets. I can hand it out. You guys can review it at your leisure. <laughs> and it is it is a story that you carry with, and I'm sensitive to that. Like, everyone has their own experience in their marriage, and there is going to be that venting. There's going to yeah. be that. And in those situations, you have to listen, not land. You can't be like, I don't really care about that because no mm-hmm. no one feels good about that. You're constantly redirecting. Let's talk about, as I say, you're going to Oprah it. You're going to be like, let's talk about how we're moving forward. Let's talk about how, you know, this is the opportunity for you to get a restart, Obviously this seems you're not in a good position there now. Let's get you into a good position and trying to pivot without saying, I hear you, sister. Oh <laughs> don't you exactly I'm, I'm holding it, your hand through this. Yeah, as you're <laughs> as you are sitting there, there are moments when you ought to be like, Yeah, I get it. What a I dog. Get, yeah, exactly, right? Let's, yeah. you know. But that isn't your job. Yeah. Your job is and once you realize to them that the most important thing and sometimes because I've gone through this process, I can speak to that the most important thing at the end of the day is that you leave as, as whole as possible with your two legs under you. Mm-hmm. And that's my job. And that's my hope. So redirecting that to the future, the emotions only escalate escalate things for mm-hmm. sure. When a couple is getting divorced,
0: I guess my question would be for you, is they want to sell, they both want to sell, but is it ever really suggested, depending on when they purchased the home, to go back to the agent that they used because they've already both worked with that person? Yeah, we see that. Yeah,
3: sometimes that's the person that they can agree upon. Yeah. And sometimes mm-hmm. that, though, that can get a little dicey too, because oftentimes we go to family friends, right? Sometimes yeah. it's, sometimes we specifically don't want that because maybe it was the brother-in-law of oh, somebody yeah. that sold them the house. Yeah. And now mm-hmm. that's, that's enemy territory, right? Yeah. Now that's yeah. the other side of the family. <laughs> yeah, if it's somebody, what I've seen that has worked really well, is if it's somebody that was the original agent that maybe was a neighbor and doesn't have a dog in the fight, for lack of a better word, when they're like, oh, we really like her. We still, we yeah, both trust we both her, trust her yeah. that that can actually be a huge game changer because if you've got that independent person, even if they don't trust each other and even yeah. if they don't really maybe even have full faith in the lawyers sometimes because there are days where everybody's yeah. a very high emotion. You yeah. know that whoever you know your realtor is can be that person that can be the calming influence and yeah. um, can get it over the Alice-
5: line. I, Allison, sorry, I, I, it's hard for me to just jump in here and I cut everybody off. I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. That's okay. My question too is, a lot of times, I'll have people. If money is tighter, and I say, "I want to, I want to introduce you to Amy. She's a real estate attorney." I always have. There's always somebody who's like, "We're going to agree to use our, one of our divorce attorneys." Mm-hmm. Do you ever let them know that's probably not a good idea? Yes, because not all divorce attorneys. <laughs> the okay, answer is yes. No, oh, you know, <laughs> don't. I don't like working with divorce attorneys for real estate. Right. I, I, no, because we don't know what we're people. doing, right? <laughs> <laughs> and I
3: say, I actually say that as I graduated law school in 04. So that was the height of the real estate refi boom, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's what I was going to do. Like my 2003, my summer internship was real estate and we were all going to make a fortune doing real estate. <laughs> and then I, I, so I did it for summer and I learned that I hated easements mm-hmm. and I never wanted to do them again. <laughs> yeah. So there is a reason that I do what I do and I don't do real estate. So I send folks that are dealing real, with real estate
1: transactions to people like Amy that. Mm-hmm. Do understand easements and know what they're doing? <laughs> so, <laughs> I think it's interesting, Amy, what you said a little bit ago regarding you sometimes represent both members mm-hmm. of the couple. Obviously, you do that, Amy, through when you're mm-hmm. working as a mediator, and obviously for estate planning as well, Aaron. I think, and I've represented on, and of course, I work with a lot of couples, and then even through divorce, can work with members of a couple, be impartial and represent both sides. And I actually think I don't know what your experiences are, but I think that is like the best situation because everything is right on the table. Like communication is, mm-hmm. I think, better when when there's not side conversations with one member of the couple. I, it just seems to me like it's a better situation. There's really nothing being hidden. There's no, like I said, <laughs> right. side conversations. I think communication is really important through stressful situations, especially a divorce. And so what are your experiences? Do you often represent both members of a couple or is it, I'm sure it's a mixed bag, but do you have any like, you know, stories of great experiences where, you know, they're, where you're representing both and the communication helps get through a really tough time. It just seems to me like that's the way to go.
2: Absolutely. It- Absolutely. I do represent both because I'm very limited to my role my role is to get the property sold legally to the buyer yeah they are typically supported by their own divorce attorneys and i am i am communicating with those divorce attorneys in the moments of conflict yeah sometimes if i can get them focused on this individual asset and maximizing the value out of it and moving forward that i'm not navigating the entire divorce but i had i just had a situation where i did represent both parties and this kind of speaks a little bit to the real estate agent one of the things that we run into sometimes is the relationship building because one person is typically in the house the realtor develops more of a relationship with that person because that's how they're scheduling clothes they're scheduling viewings open houses all those things Mm -hmm. so typically the other partner is feeling on edge about that so I'm trying to settle that to say look here's the agreement but it can get contentious when we're dealing with I just had a case where there was a restraining order I have to schedule when when the spouse is returning to the property to empty out their property and there's you can have some contention where you know the day before they'll say I'm not signing he slash she because I feel like I'm being very gendered and I'm trying to be very neutral here he slash she is not getting a dime or if i'll get into fights oh, where it's yeah. like she's been living there he's been living there for the past six months so she's paying the electrical bill in full or he mm. so then i have to go back to the divorce attorneys and say what does the agreement say what mm. was the understanding during that and, and try to level that ship so even though i represent them in this individual transaction and that can give them comfort in a neutral person also not to say the sales, <laughs> it's more cost effective for me to do that. And, oh, sure. Yeah. And she'll 100%. be the first person to say mediation is way to-
1: more cost effective than having separate oh, attorneys yeah, right, as well. Yeah. Right. I mean, no. So yeah. Yeah. when
2: I'm selling a property, it's a flat fee that I'm charging them. And they're used to being billed yeah. by the hour. Right. And often when I remind them that when I'm reaching out to their attorney is because they can't reach a decision, they're going to be billed for that. Right. All of a sudden, oh, right. kind of people come back to the ta- to the table. So I'm like, let's be a little bit more reasonable. And I do have to have tough conversations. In the, in the most recent transaction, the gentleman was saying, I'm not moving anything out. I'm not doing anything. And then I had to remind him that there was a court order to do yeah. that. Did, I want, did he want me to reach out to the divorce attorneys to get this resolved? And then he realized and had that conversation come to Jesus kind of moment. I do it with love, uh, but yeah. it can take a little bit of a strong arm, which, you know, yeah. or just a note of reason. To, Cost-effectiveness to efe- bra- cost effective. cost yes. is a huge point. Is mediation yeah. really
3: common these days? Or I think it's becoming more common, but most of my practice is still, I would say, is still litigation, server, even, okay. if it's, even if it's amicable. So uh, there might be that both sides have lawyers and we sit down and we work everything out, but yep. there's not a mediator involved per se. I actually used to work at a firm that we tried to We tried to really focus on mediation, and one of the partners there was a godfather of mediation in Boston. So I have good background in that, but for some reason, there's still... People haven't really gelled onto that I think as much yeah. as they could and it just is really a too cost emotional effective. sometimes yeah just too yeah. emotional
1: alright we're gonna take a break in a couple minutes and then I wanna loop you and Aaron, and talk about the estate planning like in light of the fact that divorce is so common and then maybe estate planning post divorce <laughs> and how things change or maybe you're being looped in during divorce and so let's loop you in after the break but I, did you have something yeah, up before I was just something that you said popped into my head
0: it's usually when we see how bad or if the divorce is not going to it's usually the closer it gets to closing, mm-hmm. especially with final walkthrough. So sometimes yes. we go through a house, if we're the listing agents, the day before to make sure, hey, tomorrow's closing day, you're going to make sure that everything's out. And whoever has been living in the house, absolutely nothing is, is gone. Or they purposely leave the home and not in great condition. And that's when we really need to like bring in every
1: attorney and just be like, okay. Absolutely, like-
2: yeah. I have some definite war stories for <laughs> yeah. that. All
1: right, hold that <laughs> for sure. to the break. Hold <laughs> that for to the break. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. Check us out at McNamaraFinancial.com or McNamaraOfTheMarramac.com. You can also find our podcast on your podcatcher, McNamara on Money. Joined this morning by Amy humert Masfer, real estate attorney, Sherman Law, Erin Nally, estate planning attorney, Starboard Legal, and Allison Walsh, family law attorney with Walsh Law Office, and Sharon McNamara and Melissa Wallace of Boston Connect Real Estate. It is literally a round table on a square table this morning. <laughs> yeah. We're just taking a quick break. We'll be right back.